forget that day that you came and saved us. Blessed be your great name. Lord, if there is somebody within the sound of my voice who can't say that for certainty, that uh, they know that they have a relationship with you, that they know that they have a future home in heaven, that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that we would give you all the glory and honor due your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated, and uh, if you're new with us today, or maybe just been with us a couple of weeks and you've not filled out one of these yet, this is a connection card. We'd love to know that you're worshiping with us, so please fill that out. We also have uh, prayer cards to fill out, and we'll be faithful to uh, pray uh, for those needs, so please do that. Put that in the offering plate. That connection card, by the way, can either go in the offering plate or can, you can take it to the Connection Center uh, after the service, okay? Well, hey, we've got a special group, and we've got some big plans for children in June. So, Jeffrey, come on up and pray for these guys. That This, this is not the entire group that's uh, going to camps because, as you know, many people are gone this weekend, but we're going to pray uh, for the children. We're going to pray for Miss Cindy because she's going to direct three camps. There is no moss growing under her feet in, in June. And, and so you see the camps up there. You might want to jot those down so you can pray for those each week uh, this, this June. Let's pray for those. Oh, is there any kids? Let's stand, please. Are there any uh, leaders out there that are going to be going to any of these camps? Would you please stand too? So we can recognize you and and Jeffrey's going to lead us. All right, let's pray God's blessing on this group. Let's pray, guys. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you that we are a part of a church with young people and with children. And Lord, just as Jesus told his disciples, let the little children come to me. Lord, I pray that we would invite these children to come to Christ, to come to put their faith in him for salvation. And Lord, as we think about these opportunities throughout the summer where they're going to go hear good Bible teaching and hear good singing and have a good time with one another, I pray right now, but above all, that they would hear from your word, your spirit would work in each one of their hearts and lives, and Lord, that they would come to faith, they would grow in their faith, that they would become strong um, young men and young women who love you and seek you above everything else in their lives. We pray right now a special blessing upon all of the leaders who are going to be working hard, staying up late, putting forth a lot of effort. Um, I pray for patience. I pray for endurance. I pray for soft and tender hearts that would reach out and just love on these students and these children. We thank you for this wonderful blessing that's standing up before us, and we give you all the praise and glory and honor for your love and your compassion. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, church family, uh, pray for our pastor and uh, Natalie. They will be, I believe, traveling back home uh, tomorrow. They've been out seeing some uh, grandkids in Alabama, or Bama, I think they call it. But anyway, I, I, uh, so I'm not making fun of anybody from the South, mind you. But uh, so, uh, so, uh, so Jeffrey's going to be preaching for us today, and he's chosen... Uh, very aptly uh, on uh, this Memorial Day weekend, our Christian hope, our hope of eternal uh, heaven. And so we're going to sing some great old hymns and gospel songs. And so the first verse will be done by a soloist, and then we'll all jump in and sing along, okay? Soon and very soon we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. 
Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we come before you. Uh, I've heard it said that the most important thing for anybody's life is that I, you, go to heaven. The next most important thing is I, we, tell as many people and take as many people with us as we can. And Lord, we pray that we don't just sing Grandma and Grandpa's old favorite songs today and let that be enough. Lord, we pray that these songs would spur us on to remember that this is our eternal destination if we love you and are called according to your purpose and that we, there are others that need to know this, this uh, most important news they could ever hear. And uh, Lord, we pray uh, knowing that every time we give, that's a portion of what happens, that your word goes forth. And we thank you for this time of offering today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. Jesus. 
us thank him that he is that living hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of God. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. Brought me from the darkness into the If pastor was here, I'm sure he would say, if that doesn't get you fired up, your wood is wet. <laughs> I know we have many visitors here today, and I just want to introduce myself. I'm Jeffrey Wolfert. I am the student pastor here at First Baptist Church of Ozark. I've been here for three years now, and it is a blessing to be here and um, it really is a privilege and an honor to fill this pulpit every time. So if you've come here looking for a six-foot-something big dude with a southern accent, I, I'm not him. I'm just filling in. You'll have to come back next week. Um, but it is, it is an honor. Before we get into our passage today, I just want, I'm standing here as the official spokesman for the elders right now, just to let you know, give you a quick update, we met this week. We have started going through the nominations that you have provided us for both deacons and elders. So we have started that process. We just wanted to let you know. If you still have names of men that you think would be good um, for our church to serve, both in the capacity of deacon or capacity of elder, you can still bring those names to us. Um, just bring them by. You can give them to one of us um, pastors, but bring them to the church office. They'll get to us. So just wanted to start by saying that. We are going to be in the book of Titus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Titus chapter 1. This weekend, we are celebrating Memorial Day. 
At its core, Memorial Day is a holiday where we, as a nation, we honor the ultimate sacrifice that our armed forces, men and women, have made throughout the years. This holiday began in the Northeast, known as Decoration Day, right after the Civil War, where people would go and decorate the graves of the fallen soldiers. By the end of World War I, most of the nation celebrated this holiday, and then in 1971, Congress voted it as an official national holiday. And though this holiday has at its core the honoring of the men and women who gave their lives in the line of duty, many folks use this as a time to remember the loss of their loved ones as well. In the church I pastored in Nebraska, we actually had a slideshow on Memorial Day where we would put up the pictures of the loved ones in our church that had passed. And I dare say that in a um, church this size, many of you at some point this weekend will go and visit the graves of your loved ones that have passed away, who have died, who have crossed over the River Jordan. And you're probably going to go decorate some graves in their memory. So this holiday, if you sit and think about it or give any thought to it, it reminds us, yes, of the death of the loved ones who have gone on, but it also forces us to contemplate our own mortality. Life is a vapor. It's short. We're not promised tomorrow. It is appointed once for men to die. And as we think about these things and our own mortality We as Christians ought not to despair. We ought not to lose hope. We ought not to become despondent. Yes, sorrowful, but not in despair. We should not become apathetic to death. In the world around us, many people can look at death as just as a natural part of life, and that's the end. Therefore, who really cares? We as Christians should not be apathetic to the death of our loved ones and ourselves. Why should we not despair? Why should we not become apathetic towards those who have passed on around us and even in our own deaths? It is because we as Christians have hope. We have a hope that the world that is lost and dying does not have. So let's begin Titus chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. This is Paul's introduction to a young pastor in a hard place. And he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised Before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been commanded by God our Father and Savior. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And may he write these eternal truths upon our hearts. Hope, according to our text this morning, is one of the core elements of a Christian's life. Paul says that his ministry as a servant of God and an an apostle of Jesus Christ is to help Christians, to bring them along and help them grow in their faith, in their knowledge of the truth, which which then should lead them to godliness. And finally, hope. To be more specific, Paul states that we, as we grow and we live in the first three um, virtues or first three parts of the Christian life, we live in faith, we live with knowledge, we live in godliness, all in the hope, all in hope. What is hope? Christian hope is the confident expectation of things to come. Christian hope is not mere wishful thinking of what we want to happen or what we would like to happen, but rather it is the sure anticipation of God fulfilling his promises to his people. It is the joyful, 
forward-looking expectancy of the glorious blessings to come to those who are in, united, and saved by Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to walk with you all through the book of Titus, examining the hope that we have as God's people, as Christians. And in doing so, I hope to stir up in you the great joy that comes from the hope that we have. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that the Christian hope that we have is about eternal life. Paul says, in hope of eternal life. Eternal life is a major part of the Christian life. Paul mentions this hope of eternal life here at the very beginning of his letter to Titus. And then by the time you get to chapter 3, he's going to mention the hope of eternal life again. All throughout his letters, Paul writes about eternal life. In the life of Christ, Jesus said over and over and over again, I've come to that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Those who believe in me will have eternal life. Eternal life is a major part of the Christian faith, and we forget it all too often as we walk through the difficulties, troubles, trials, and tribulations of this world. What is eternal life? I like the Holman Bible Dictionary's definition. It says that eternal life is life at its best, having an infinite duration, characterized by abiding fellowship with God. It's life at its best, infinite in duration, characterized by abiding fellowship with God. The first thing we need to understand about eternal life is, yes, it does have a quantitative aspect. It does deal with time. It goes on forever and ever. And as we enter into and as we look face to face with death, we know death is not the end, and life goes on after death, and eternal life goes on for eternity. But that's not the focus of eternal life. The focus of eternal life is not on the quantity, but on the quality. Eternal life has more to do with fellowship with God, gracious and divine satisfaction of our thirst and our hunger, it is the removal of pain and death, the promise of purity. And tonight I want to turn, tonight, this morning, I want to turn to Revelation chapter 21. So please turn with me to Revelation 21. And I want to give you just a little taste. Well, it's going to be a big taste of what John experienced in the vision of what eternal life will look like one day. Revelation chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 1. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you notice the focus there? It is not the quantity, it's the quality, and it is being with God. Verse 4, and when you're with God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, they have passed away. And he, who has, and he who was seated on the throne said to me, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Take it to the bank. There's coming a day when we will be with God. And he will dwell with us. And he said, 
It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Are you thirsty today in your soul? God promises you that he has given you a a river of water of life that you can drink from without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Or daughter. Hop down to verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut up by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. But wait, there's more. 22, verse 1. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on their side of the on either side of the river. There's a tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding in its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and, uh, and the Lamb will be in it. And his server, servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the hope of eternal life that we in Christ have. And I want you to know it is glorious. And so it reminds me of an old song that we used to sing. I'm sure Michelle is probably tired of me humming it and singing it for the last week and a half. But there's coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Listen to this. Does this not sound like Revelation? There will be no sorrows there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. I'm sorry, my voice is cracking. But I was about to cry over there, and now it's coming up here. (laughs) I've had some loved ones die in my life. I've experienced pain and sorrow, loss and gain. But there's coming a day when we are with our God and our Savior, and he will wipe those tears away. That's our hope, brothers and sisters. And this morning I want to give a warning. I want to give a warning to the spiritual gold diggers out there. What is that? Well, a gold digger, by definition, 
is a person who wants to marry somebody not for a relationship with them, but for their money and for all the benefits that come thereof. Eternal life isn't just about escaping eternal judgment in hell. Eternal life is about having a life-giving fellowship with God Almighty through believing in His Son, Jesus. And it is a sad reality that many have made professions of faith in Christ that have no desire to be with Jesus or to be with God. All they want is the benefits thereof. These are the people who profess to have faith in Jesus but only want to escape the fires of hell. To merely escape God's wrath is not eternal life. Eternal life is to be with God as his child forever. Eternal life is to worship God forever. It is to make God the center of your life and for him to invite you to live by the stream and the river of the water of life and to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. If you do not want a life in relationship and fellowship with God, then you will remain cut off from the fountain of life and eternal life. It's not yours. Do not be a spiritual gold digger. Eternal life is all about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So, point number one. Our Christian hope is about eternal life. Number two, Christian hope is anchored to God's promises. Paul says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been commanded by God our Father, or God our Savior. This brings the surety and trustworthiness of what our hope is. You see, the Christian hope is anchored on God's promises. We have a God, brothers and sisters, who is trustworthy. He is the God who never lies. This speaks to the very character and nature of God. Why is this important? Because the, the people, the pastor that Paul is writing to, is living in a culture on the island of Crete. It's kind of like the island of Tortuga, if you're familiar with the Pirate of the Caribbean ride in Disney World. Right, you, you get on the ride and you go through and you see all of these swashbuckling, you know, scallywags. Right? They they're stealing, they're chasing after women. There there's there's all of this, these shenanigans going on. That's the island of Crete. And to be a Cretan was to known to be a liar. So Paul makes it sure. Make, Paul wants his audience to understand the God who promises eternal life is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Also, did you know that the island of Crete is where the mythological Greek god Zeus was brought up? Born in deception, killed his father in deception. Then he would go on to live his life as the head of the Olympians, and he was known for being deceitful. The god Zeus was known for making promises to people and then like taking it away or giving them what they wanted, but in a way that was a tragedy. I believe what Paul is doing is saying the God of the Bible, the God who has promised this wonderful gift of eternal life, is not like that. He is trustworthy. He never lies. And when he tells you that he wants you to be with him forever and wants to have a relationship with him forever, you take it to the bank because he does. He's not fooling you just to dangle the carrot out there and then to pull it away when you get close. We have a God who is trustworthy, but we also have a God who has a plan. He promised this gift of eternal life before the world began. God has had a plan from the very beginning to have a relationship with people and to, and to share his life with them. This has been his plan from the very beginning. But not only does God have this plan, we're also told in this passage that God reveals this plan. And at the proper time, he, what, manifested. He, he revealed, he pulled back the curtain, little bit by little bit. We believe in what we call the progressive revelation of God. As you walk through the Bible, God reveals more and more and more and more, and the picture becomes more full and more full and more full. And so we have a God who has revealed at the proper time 
through progressive revelation, through the preaching of Jesus and the apostles and all the prophets that we have here in these 66 canonized books that we call the Bible. And we can know his plan, and we know it. And I want you to know it is here. And God has revealed his plan through the preaching of the prophets and the apostles, and it is contained in this book. So it's the hope of eternal life that we have and we sing about this morning is anchored in God's promises. Third, as we look through the book of Titus, we're going to see that the Christian hope anticipates the return of Christ. We're going to just briefly touch on this one and then take off again. But Paul mentions the hope that we have in chapter 2 of Titus. If you look down, let's read Titus verses 11 through 13. I want to read it in context. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So that's what God's grace is doing for us right now. Now look at verse 3. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking forward to the return of Jesus? Jesus didn't come on the scene, die on the cross, ascend into heaven just to stay there forever. He said, he promised to his disciples, listen, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again. Do you remember what the angels said to the disciples? They're on the Mount of Olives. Jesus is ascending up into heaven and they're all looking up. Oh, it's really bright up there. If if Jesus was that bright, they probably did this. But they were all looking up. And what did the angel say to them? Why are you guys standing around looking up into the air? Do you not know he's going to come back the same way he went? Do you anticipate, do you wait for the return of Christ? It's something that we should look forward to and be anxious for, something that we anticipate. It is a blessed hope. It's a happy and joyful hope. If you're a faithful servant of Jesus Christ today, his return should be something joyful for you. And I hope it is. So the Christian hope anticipates the return of Christ. Lastly, as we look in the book of Titus about the hope of eternal life, we see that the Christian hope that we've been talking about is acquired at salvation. It's acquired at salvation. Look in chapter 3 of the book of Titus. Look at verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're going to break this down just a little bit. But but verse 7 is a summation of the verses that come right before it. It's a summary statement. It's a conclusion statement. Talking about the explanation of the good news of Jesus Christ and what God has done for us through him. And the first thing, we're we're going to kind of do some uh, reverse engineering. So in verse 7, at the very end, we're told that we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So there's the hope of eternal life there at the very end. And Paul says that we are heirs. What is an heir? What is an heir? An heir is someone who has a rightful claim to receive a gift from another person. Put simply, an heir is someone who gives, who is given a gift. So Paul tells us that we are heirs of eternal life. But right before that, Paul says that we became or we become heirs, right? So that being justified by grace, we might become heirs. The Greek word there, to become, means to become. It means you weren't something before, but now you are. No one is born a doctor. They become a doctor. 
No one is born an electrician, a mechanic. They become one of those. We're not born adults. We're born infants, but then we become adults. I don't want to beat this horse anymore, but there's a point here. And here's the point. The hope of eternal life is not a universal benefit given to humanity at birth. The hope of eternal life is not a universal benefit. We are not born with the hope of eternal life. How are we born as human beings? In sin nature. We are born condemned, unclean. Our federal head, Adam, messed everything up in the beginning. And then we, we finalize it. We're, what is the, what's the old verse say? Um, I don't know why I'm just drawing a blank. For we have are, we are, all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So eternal life isn't something that's just guaranteed to everyone just because you have, you've been born. But rather, it is something that is acquired. We become the heirs. We become the recipients. We are born under a condemnation of sin, but there is a point at which we become the recipients of this hope of the best life possible, an abiding fellowship with God. And who is it that becomes heirs of the hope of eternal life? What's at the very beginning of verse 7? Those who have been justified by his grace. The New Living Translation says it like this. It says, those who have the hope and become the heirs of eternal life, it says, those who have been made right in the sight of God because of his grace. Those who have become heirs and have the hope of eternal life are those who have been saved. What does salvation look like? Well, let's read verse 3 of chapter 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in, the mal in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's us in our sin. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Those who have the hope of eternal life are those who have been saved, saved from their sins, saved by God's grace, not works done by them. Saved by regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Saved through Jesus Christ. So I ask the question, who are those who have become heirs of eternal life? They are sinners saved by the grace of God, the work of Christ, and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. These are those who have become the recipients, the rightful people to lay hold of the hope of eternal life. Now I ask you this question, have you been saved? Have you been made right in God's sight by his grace alone? I deal with a lot of people. And a lot of people say, oh yes, I believe, I believe in the gospel. I believe Jesus died for me. But then when you ask them this question, the answer is a little bit different. You say, well, then when you meet God face to face and he asks you the question, why should you come and have eternal life with him? I usually get this answer, because I'm a good person. They've completely missed everything that they've just said before. We're told that we are saved by God's grace alone. There's a man in the Gospels who comes to Christ and he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You might be here this morning and you might be asking the question, how can I become an heir of the hope that you've just been talking about? How can I have the hope of being with God forever as his child? How can I have the sure expectation of living with God in a new world that he will bring with all of its glories? The answer is simple but difficult. It's simple in that you can do nothing on your own to become an heir of eternal life. There is nothing you can do. That's what our passage just said. Not, done by not of works done by us in righteousness. 
So it's simple in that way. But it's difficult here because you must let go of any self-righteous goodness that you have. And you must put your trust in someone else to lead you to, home, to, lead you to eternal life. You must put your trust in God's only provision to secure, secure for you this glorious hope. This is to say that you must trust Jesus as God's son who came to earth 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life, did his, will, his father's will perfectly, went to the cross of Calvary, shed his blood and died for you and your sins, was buried and then three days in victory, rose from the grave to give us this wonderful hope. You must put your faith and hope in him. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the same wording, the same Greek words as eternal life. Shall have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Those who believe in him, those who believe in the son that was sent are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already. What does it look like to put your faith in Jesus? Well, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus tells us that he is the living water that you must drink. He is the bread that you must eat. He is the light of life that you must walk in. He is the life-giving shepherd that you must follow. He is the lamb of God that you must trust to take away the sin, your sins. He is the door that you must enter into eternal life. He is the way that you must travel. He is the truth that you must believe but if you want eternal life, you must believe on him. If you want the hope that we have been talking about this morning, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart to be with God through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, then please receive him this morning, for today is the day of salvation. And you are more than welcome to grab a friend and come down to the altar and pray. You're more than welcome to, to speak with me or one of our pastors or staff. And you can do this as we sing in response to God's great promise of eternal life. And brothers and sisters, I turn to you now. And as we contemplate this Memorial Day and all that it means, may we as the heirs according to the hope of eternal life joyfully hope and look forward to the glories of our, that our Heavenly Father has in store for us. May we sorrow in the departed and the departure of life but not despair. May we lose our Christian loved ones and may we even lose our own lives without losing the sight of our sure expectation to be with our God forever. I want to pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for today and I pray that you would lift our eyes. I pray for those who are hurting right now who have lost loved ones. I pray that you would put in them this hope. I pray that they would be stirred with joy Lord, I pray for those who don't know if they have eternal life, I pray that they would come and believe in Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that we would keep our eyes on you, and we just want to thank you and praise you for the great promise that you have given to us. And we ask these things, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing once again that song we ended with. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied that allows me to know, know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I have an eternal home with you. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the dark into glorious light. You took
took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting, and life has no end. For I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. There is nothing stronger than the wonder-working power of the blood, the blood that calls the sons and daughters. We are ransomed by our Father through the blood. Amen. Thank you all for being here. I do pray that you have been encouraged and that you have the joy down in your heart of the eternal life that our God has promised us. And may he bless you as you go out this, this, uh, this afternoon, um, this morning, and this weekend as you remember those who have um, served us and those who have gone on before us. God bless you. Is there anything else I need to mention? Other than we're just all going to sing in a sweet by and by one more time. Sweet by and by one more time. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. And in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore.